here today to, uh, to be happy about the fact that our church is turning one today. Uh, that's what we're celebrating. But more than that, uh, we're, our, we're excited about Jesus. We're, we're just thankful for Jesus. This is, this is not about Antioch. You know, our church doesn't exist for Antioch's sake. Like, we are from Jesus. We are towards Jesus. We're about Jesus. I mean, this is just, it's all from him, about him, through him, and to him. And so uh, we are so thankful to get to be his body. He is our head, and we are the members of his body. We're so thankful for that uh, as a local expression of that right here, among many others in our city and our world. Um, but we are we're just thankful for Jesus this morning, more than anything else. So um, I do want to, before I jump into this, I want to give a special thank you to um, a group of people who uh, took a serious uh, step of faith uh, along with me and my family in planting this church. There was about a group of about 25 people who over a year ago, almost two years now, um, that was sent out of our church um, here in Birmingham. And um, they sent us, supported us, blessed us. And uh, this group of about 25 people called them the core team. And it is, it is if, if you're part of the core team and you're here, I want to personally say thank you to you. Because this would not be here. Yeah. Because our church wouldn't be here without you. And I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I would not be here without you. This is not a one-man show. Uh, like I said, this is about Jesus. He's the head. He's the leader. He's it. And we're his body. And we do this together. So I want to say thank you to that team um, for you and your prayer and your love and your sacrifice. Um, so thank you. Um, so this morning, we are in week three of a four-week series in Ecclesiastes. So if you missed the last couple weeks, I'll fill you in on where we've been in Ecclesiastes. Life is short. Life is hard. And you're going to die and be forgotten. And we, we've talked about how nobody that's been here the last two weeks knows all eight of their, their great-grandparents' names. You might, I mean, there was a couple who knew like one or two, maybe, but you have eight of them, and nobody knows. You probably still don't. Even, you could have gone on Ancestry.com and looked it up, and you probably still don't, because you don't care. Um, you're going to be a great-grandparent one day, and all your great-grandkids aren't going to know who you are, and they're not going to care about you either. That's what Ecclesiastes is about, which is a great book to be in on this great day of celebration, is it not? It, it is, actually, because one thing that I love about Ecclesiastes and one thing I love about the Bible, one thing I love about Jesus is that all those things are incredibly, brutally honest and yet mind-blowingly hopeful. So super honest, super hopeful, not sugarcoating e either one. Um, and it's, it's, there's a lot of wisdom, there's a lot of um, hope in this book. And we see it pop up here and there, but there's, there's one section, it's what we're looking at this morning in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10, um, that actually is some, some really hopeful, uh, encouraging things, a really fitting word for us today on this milestone in the life of our church. What Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10 is doing is it's answering the question that we're asked, we, we've had to been asking ourselves, even if you're just joining us today for the first time and hearing a little bit about where we've been in Ecclesiastes, is 
what does God want you to do about living in a world that is hard and having a life that is short and ultimately vain, which that word pops up more than any other word in Ecclesiastes. It means vapor. You are here for a second and then you're gone and you're forgotten. And how in the world can you accept that and, and live and be sane? And what does God want to do in the middle of that without taking you in the fantasy world but also not leaving you into, you know, some house of mirrors where you're just miserable about your life. Well, this is what it is. Here's God's answer. Go enjoy life. Go enjoy life. So there's going to be two sections for our, our time this morning. Section one, go. Section two, enjoy life. Go enjoy life. All right, first, go actually the first word in verse 7. Uh, the author doesn't just start talking about, hey, you should enjoy life. I think it's so um, telling that he has to say go first and then start talking about all these things you're supposed to appreciate in life and enjoy and soak in. I think partly because he just spent the first six verses in, in chapter 9 talking about once again, you're going to die. This, I mean, it just keeps popping up in Ecclesiastes, and he's reminded us of that in the first six verses. And then he says, go. And then he lists off a total of six commands from God. Commands, these are very surprising commands because they're all like really good, positive things. But commands to enjoy life in these various different ways. I think what he's getting at is, um, yeah, life is hard, life is short, but you're not dead yet. You're here and you're not here by accident, so you might as well enjoy it. You might as well slow down enough to just, yeah, see the reality of how tough life is and that you're going to be forgotten, but don't miss the beauty of what life is. This isn't all some sham, right? I mean, this is, creation is good. It's, it's, it was God's idea. You were God's idea. And the thing that messed it all up wasn't God. We saw that last week. It was, it, was, it was sin in us that's just fractured everything. And yet there is a way, and yet God is saying, he's commanding you to not stay here. Because I think every one of you, myself included, is prone to get into a rut. A rut of disappointment, a rut of frustration, a rut of nursing our wounds, of self-pity, all normal right things of living in this broken world. But this is what you have to hear from the Bible this morning is that's not from God. That is not of God. That is of this world. That is of the flesh. That's of the enemy. Now, it doesn't mean it's wrong to experience those things, feel those things, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But what it means is um, that is not from God. And God doesn't want you to stay there because that's not where he is. He will meet you in that, but that's not where he dwells. That's not where he resides. So God is saying to you, go. Whatever is keeping you from enjoying this moment right here. 
Whatever is on your mind, whatever is on your heart, whatever your life circumstance is right now, God's not saying diminish that, but he is saying, I want you to trust me enough to let me take you by the hand and, and take you to more. Um, because, you know, the, the trajectory of Jesus is always upwards. Right? His burden is light, right? Lightness, not, not heaviness. That's what Jesus offers to us. But the reality is, is I think that we have to be told, go. You have to be told, go. Get up from your pouting. Because what, who God is, what the Bible tells about who God is, is the exact opposite of what our natural selves expect. I think what we naturally expect is kind of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, 16. You don't have to t- turn there. I'll just read it for you. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 16 about the hypocrites, where he's most likely referring to uh, the Pharisees, who were a group of very religious people in that time. He says this to his disciples, to his people. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He's saying the, 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 the hypocrites, the Pharisees, when they fast, they think that that fasting is this really holy thing they're supposed to do and that the pinnacle of holiness and following God and knowing God is actually being unhappy. It's having a gloomy face. And so what they would do is they would fast and then they, would, they wouldn't tell people about it. But what they would do is they would throw these subtle cues by just walking around, you know, like looking hungry. and all, you know, It's like, oh, wow, that per- so holy, right? They're, they're so sacrificial for God that they would, you know, give up on the pleasures of this world and of this life to just, you know, do that religiously. And God's saying, what Jesus is saying is, that is, that is man's religion. That's what we come up with. To make ourselves feel bad so that God will look more favorably upon us. And he's saying, that is, that is not from me. That is not of me. What I'm coming to give you is from on high. It's not something that you would ever expect or guess. The good news of Jesus is good news, and it's surprising news. It's, it's not what you expect. So what is keeping you here? What is keeping you here in this place of pouting and just disappointment that, that cannot see over that hill to the goodness and brightness and hope that is yours right now through Christ. Whatever that is, like I'm, I'm telling you, God is telling you, these are commands this morning, bring that to him. You need to lay that stuff bare before him because it can, it can feel more holy, it can feel more self-righteous, it can feel more logical to hold on to those things. He's saying, I want you to, to, to lay down those things. Where, I, I don't know, maybe it's just general disappointment in life. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's shame, maybe it's guilt that's saying I can't have any sort of enjoyment in life. I don't deserve that. Give that over to God. Don't stay here. Go. That's the first point. The second point is this. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. All, those, all these commands that get listed here in verses 7 through 10, they get summed up under that one umbrella of enjoy life. So right now in this section, what I want to do is I want to do two things. I want to show you first why you should enjoy life. 
why you should enjoy life, and secondly, what it looks like to enjoy life. That's what, that's what these verses are doing. Why enjoy life, and second, what it looks like to enjoy life. So why enjoy life? The answer is, is, um, is surprisingly simple and straightforward. This is why you can enjoy life even though it's incredibly short and hard and you will die and be forgotten because God in Christ doesn't hate you anymore. Because of the finished work of Christ, as Romans 8 says, God is for you, not against you. Despite what any circumstance may be telling you, despite what anything in your heart, in your mind might be telling you, anyone around you, this is the reality. Whether we tr- it's either we trust God's word or we don't, because this is what God is telling you. This is what he's telling us. That because of the finished work of Christ, there is nothing that you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. His favor has been set on you as a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve or earn this. This is, at, this is flowing from his love. He didn't, God did not have to operate this way. He was not obligated to forgive, to love, to embrace, to heal, to redeem. And yet this is the heart of the God of the Bible. It makes me think about a lot of verses in the New Testament, but it makes me think about one in particular. If you want to jot the reference down, it's 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. Fun word. Probably don't hear it all that often. It's a word that means appeasement. It means satisfaction. It means another biblical word that's uh, parallel to it is atonement. It's this idea that you didn't deserve to enjoy life because of your rejection of God. Because of your putting yourself at the center and putting God on the margins, making yourself your own God, and rejecting him. You, you don't naturally get to enjoy life. Naturally, what, what you and I deserve is God's wrath and, and separation from him. And yet, what God has done in Christ is said, I will take that on myself. Your problems, which you got yourself into, willfully rejecting me, I will absorb that in myself. Because, and it's not because he's, this is out of love. It says, this is, this is why it is because he loved us that he would send his son to absorb any wrath, any anger, any disappointment, any shame in you to where the only thing that's left is absolute favor because now you're not an orphan. You're not an orphan anymore trying to earn your way into some family's favor. You are an adopted son. You are an adopted daughter. And that adoption, uh, biblically, is, is honestly stronger than biological. That's why we can enjoy life, because this is what, this is what Jesus does. He comes, and he gives that to you, and, and what he does is he, he takes the burden off of your back, right? The pressure to earn your way to God, to make yourself something with God, and the pressure to even make something of your vain life, that pressure that you feel, I want to matter. And God says, you do. I died for you. 
I came out of heaven onto earth, suffered, was a man of sorrows, was afflicted, stricken with grief, because I love you. You, because of that, you matter. Because God's heart and favor is, is put on you because of his heart, not because of yours. And because of this, you can say, what can man do to me? What can you do to yourself when you're in the arms of Christ? This gives some freedom to enjoy life, to relax a little bit. Which brings me to this second and final part of this second point, what it looks like to enjoy life. Now, I recognize that you may still be thinking, what about the hard stuff? What about sacrificing for God? What about doing all the difficult things that he calls us to? And, and, and I would say this to you, yes, there is a cross. There's a cross that you must bear. Following Jesus is not easy. He's saying, give your entire life over to me. All of it, top to bottom. But there's not only a cross, there's a crown. There's not only a death, there's a resurrection. I mean, in the Bible, in the gospel, in the finished work of Christ, there's not only tears, there's laughter. And what does Isaiah say? It says that God turns your mourning into dancing. He doesn't push it to the side. He, he transforms the very thing that you think would separate you from him. That would be the reason that you shouldn't enjoy this life. He takes that and he transforms it into dancing because he bestows on you something you didn't ask for, couldn't earn, and cannot lose. And I think if you're like me, I mean, you're, you're not going to miss the cross. You're not going to miss the tears. You're not going to miss the mourning, the pouting, the, all that. But what, what you are prone to miss is the laughter, is the dancing, is the resurrection. And that's really where God is. All that other stuff he only had to go through and only exists because of us, right? That's not who he's always eternally been. He's saying, I'm inviting you to be a partaker in me, my divine nature, as the New Testament puts it. That is who he is. So what about this, these actual verses, all right? Let's get to it as I wrap this up. I think these are some, see, these are some practical things about what it looks like to enjoy life and there's four things in these verses of what it looks like to enjoy life, and they are surprisingly human. I heard one um, pastor preaching on this passage, and he talked about how um, only, it's, it's like we as humans think that God wants us to glorify him by being like angels, doing all this incredibly spiritual stuff, and there's part of that, but only angels can glorify God like angels can. We're humans. Your body is not bad. You will always have a body. When you're resurrected, God will give you a new and glorious body. So earth, body is not bad. We're human. So again, this is not necessarily what we would expect because naturally we think, oh, to be spiritual is to like float, like start levitating or something. This is incredibly human, these things that he's going to give to us. So the first is this, eat and drink with joy. That's what it looks like to enjoy life in Christ. Eat and drink with joy. It says this in verse 7, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. 
when you live with pressure to perform in life or before God, it puts you on the hamster wheel. You start moving really fast and you don't even have time to stop and eat. And when you do have time to stop and eat, you barely eat. You, you like just suck it down, scarf it down. And this wisdom from God is saying that every meal that you have is an invitation to enjoy the life that God has given you right now. And you might eat two a day, you might eat three a day. If you're some crazy fitness person, you might eat like six or eight a day. All those, you have opportunities to enjoy God, to be drawn into the fact that the ultimate tone of your life is not heaviness, even though we go through heavy things, but it's lightness. That the ultimate tone of your life is not death, for resurrection. Now, I want to just quickly say a word here about wine, knowing that probably many of you come from different perspectives, different backgrounds and all that. A couple things very quickly about this. I think, you know, on one hand, he's saying, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart. You know, he's not just talking about when you eat bread. So it's only when you eat bread. That's the only time you're supposed to be happy. Which if you're gluten, then, or you, know, you have a gluten allergy, then you're just, I mean, I guess you're just out of, you know, being able to have joy in this. No, he's talking about food, right? Same thing with the wine. It's just whatever you drink, whatever you like to drink. Pour over, LaCroix, tea, whatever it is that you like to drink. Drink it with a merry heart. Um, and also just, you know, recognizing that the Bible is, is clear about alcohol and that drinking it, it is not a sin, but drunkenness is a sin. And that the Bible says things like this, drink it with a merry heart, but on the other hand says, you know, strong drink is a mocker. You got to be careful with it. And also we obey the laws of our land. So if you're not of age, shouldn't be doing it. Um, there, I said it about wine. Second thing, dress for the occasion. Verse eight, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking from your head. In the Old Testament, wearing sackcloth and ashes was an outward sign of what was going on on the inside. When you were mourning, when you had lost someone, when you were struggling in life, you would, you would wear like dark clothes and literally put ashes on yourself to portray that. And this is saying, um, because your primary I identity is not one of distress, even when you feel like it might be, and I don't know what this looks like for you, but it should affect the way you dress. I'm just, I'm gonna leave that for you. I'm gonna leave that for me to figure out what that looks like for me. Um, but this is what it's saying, that um, the fact that you are a daughter or son of the Most High God, that, uh, that doesn't mean you need to come to church, you know, wearing a church lady hat. If you want to, you can do that. Um, this time, about just in, a, in your regular life. Like what, is, what does it look like to express on the outside who you know deep down you are in Christ? In Christ. The third thing is this, enjoy companionship. Enjoy companionship. Verse 9 says this, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Ecclesiastes was, uh, was most likely written to a young man, a young unmarried man. And what's interesting about the original language here is that it most likely is not intending to say um, enjoy, wife, or, sorry, enjoy life with the wife whom you love, but it more sounds like this, enjoy life with a wife whom you love. So what this is getting at is it's telling this young guy, um, go get married. Like, don't let life pass you by. Yeah, I mean, if you're a student, you got to do the student thing. But like, 
at some point, and, and some of you guys may need to hear this this morning, like, you need to not let life pass you by. And this is a word to, to not just the men, because this is written to the men, but to the women as well, to all of us. And this is, and even if God has called you to singleness, which is legit and real, um, this is talking about the blessing of relationships and of companionship. And so um, go get a wife. Go get a husband. Enjoy them. Go make friends. Enjoy them. Relationships are a gift. Let them be a reminder of that gift, even when they're hard. Last is this. Do your work from, not for. Do your work from, not for. Verse 10 says this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. The idea, again, he says you're going to die. The idea is you're not going to be here for forever. God has given you a body. He has given you a brain. He's given you gifts and talents and things to use and steward. So, um, so get at it. Don't be afraid to take risks. Use whatever he's given you to the fullest until you're gone. But your work doesn't have to crush you, whatever that looks like, because you're not working for it to give you something, an identity, a meaning. You're working from. And so now you can steward whatever that calling that God has put in your life. Whatever that is that he's leading you to do or you're discerning to do or whatever you're doing. Working from and not for. He, he turns that toil, that just empty, long hour toil into something meaningful because you're, you're not working to get, you're working to give. Jesus died so that you could have a life that you can enjoy. Whatever your life is, not prosperity gospel, whatever your life is, to enjoy it. So go do that. Amen.